Good morning. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. Oh, my goodness. We are getting toward the end of March. Madness, Benny. It wow. is, and it sounds like you've been going through a little bit of madness with your ear. Um, I have been. I I um, <laughs> I have a little problem with uh, cerumen in my ears. I think that's called wax. It's a fancy name for so, wax. So this doesn't have anything to do with uh, last week's St. Patty's Day festivities? Uh, no. Okay. All right. No, 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 no. Well, clear well, the, clear well, the maybe, air there. Clear. Maybe there's just a shamrock in there. Ah. <laughs> Good There's fun. a little bit of shenanigans. I like maybe. that. Those little Thank guys, you. those little shenanigans, they're in there. Always some kind of little shenanigan. <laughs> anyway, there's always something that makes you so grateful that you've got, you know, both your ears. But, uh, yeah, I um, I went in to try to get it removed and it got worse. So uh-huh. after the show, I'm going back in and, you know, it, it's funny how you just can't quite function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty well, funny. Well, the best and hopefully they can take care of it for you. So Yeah. Yeah. How are you? You got both your ears? I do. They're under there, underneath my little cans. They're good to go. Yep. I like it. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad you like it. (laughs) I feel kind of silly today. Anyway, uh, thanks for tuning into the show. I have a great show today. Uh, We are kind of wild already, which is probably just a a segue into my guest. Uh, I am the owner of Reiki Oasis located right here in the greater Seattle area for almost 30 years now. I do have a Reiki master class coming up on Saturday, April 8th. And um, I'm planning a trip to Egypt in November. Some really wonderful things. So if you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, go to schedule.reikioasis.com. You can sign up for anything there. If you're interested in my trip to Egypt, send me an email. Send it to reikioasis at gmail.com. I'll get you some information. Um, And I also have some great workshops coming up around chakras, mudras, essential oils, and all kinds of stuff. So look for that. And uh, a big shout out to my patrons for a listener-supported show. So quick check-in with astrology, but I really have to do it because we are, (laughs) I don't even know. I say this and say this and say this, but this next week is so potent. We're already in it. Um, welcome to Aries season, all of my Aries people, and I am an Aries sun sign. And so the next month, just hang on. Happy spring equinox, which happened on Monday. And then, of course, an hour after that, we had a big planetary shift. And then we had, uh, we began Aries season with the absolute point of beginnings an Aries new moon in zero degrees of Aries. So zero degrees is the beginning of a sign. And anytime you move through a sign, you move from zero degrees to 29 degrees. And we, you, you normally have like, you'll have a new moon in Aries and then you'll have a new moon in some other sign. But we actually have two Aries new moons back to back, one this month and one in April, and I'm just thinking of them sort of like bookends because there's Aries season goes the whole time, and that second Aries new moon in April actually has a a eclipse with it, and it will be the first eclipse of the season, and all planets are direct 
until that time in April. And then, of course, the first planet to go ret- retrograde is Mercury, because it has to, right? It's got to maintain its reputation. That's the way that goes. So we have a lot of fire. Finally, we will have the fire. We have the impulse to grow, to push up through the soil, to sing, to dance, to make changes, despite the fear that might be there. Aries can be impulsive, reckless, or it can simply just say, I'm doing this now. I'm going to take a leap of faith and figure it out later. But isn't that what we need right now? I don't know how many of my clients have said to me, Loretta, I feel so stuck. I am so tired of feeling stuck or it's time to dust it off. It's very interesting beginning to our year because people have been doing spring cleaning since the very beginning. But Aries is now helping us to get going. Jupiter is still in Aries, which magnifies everything, contributes to our ability to take that leap. And Chiron, the wounded healer, is also in Aries, helping us to heal the wound of our identity. Who are we really? What do we really want? I've been telling my clients it's the very best time to reevaluate what I call your dream. You know, time goes by and we are the same people, but there's so many things in this world that change us. And where are you on that journey? Who are you, right? So it is time for a complete reset. Aries is fresh and new, courageous, all of those wonderful things. And so be prepared for this next ways of transformation that we're stepping into because Saturn has also moved into Pisces, a water sign, and it's emotional. It's sensitive. It's also about our mental health. So as the world shifts around us, be sure to stay grounded. Pisces wants to flow, but Saturn will help ground it and keep it from flooding or overpowering you. So process your thoughts. Look at your emotions. Life can be, oh, as they say, what you make it, but it's way more than that. So then today we have the big move, the biggest move of the year. (laughs) Pluto is making its big move into Aquarius today from Capricorn. Be aware this is very big because these underlying planets don't move very often. Pluto moves once every 20 years or so. This is another marker of this new age we're stepping into, and there is no going back. So we're going to be getting a a real good taste of what this means to have Pluto move into Aquarius. It will move back into Capricorn a little bit, and then it will just be in Aquarius. So just kind of pay attention to that. The Pluto return for the United States means Pluto is in the position it was during the American Revolution, the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the forming of our country. And Pluto makes us revisit all of that. The French Revolution also happened under the sky. So with this Aquarian energy, the Aquarian energy is quite often the energy for the people. So take a look. Revolution, revolutionary energy, hopefully will be more evolutionary and we'll be able to keep our feet firmly on the ground here. On March 28th, there will be five planets lined up in the sky for your viewing pleasure. Five. Talk about getting your ducks in a row. Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Uranus. This always creates some sort of a 
interesting energy, so, shall we say. And then we also have, for all of you luxury people out there, we have Venus in Taurus. Venus in Taurus is a beautiful uh, place where you need to take care of your body. Mm -hmm. Do something luxurious. It can be about money and love. And uh, I don't know. I had a lot of people coming to me lately talking about aging. What do I do about aging? Loretta, do my guides want me to do this and that? And, um, you know, we should always live life from the inside out. The outside world is there. So I always tell people, begin on the inside of yourself. You know, there is nothing wrong with putting new paint on an old fence, but make sure that you're coming from your heart. It's always about that. And it isn't really about those wrinkles. You know, you earned those. You should love them. Love every single one of them. With this beautiful Aries energy, this beautiful uh, uh, transformative energy, this is it's actually the perfect time for me to bring my guest to the show. And uh, because one of the things that we can do during times of big changes is to go into nature. Let it have its way with you. My guest today is Rebecca Wild Bear. I love her name. She is the author of Wild Yoga. Makes me feel wild just saying it, Rebecca. A practice of initiation, of veneration, and advocacy for the earth. This wonderfully fresh and revelatory book invites you to create a personal yoga practice that seamlessly melds health and well-being with spiritual insight, earth stewardship, and cultural transformation. Wilderness guide and yoga instructor Rebecca Wildbear came to yoga after a life-threatening encounter with cancer in her 20s, and over years of teaching and healing, she devised this unique and user-friendly practice she presents in wild yoga. Whether you're new to yoga or an experienced practitioner, by engaging in this vibrant approach, you'll discover greater levels of love, purpose, and creativity, along with the active awareness we know our planet deserves. I am so glad to have you on the show today, Rebecca. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to dive in. Well, you know, I always give this astrology report at the beginning. And, and while I was doing it, I just kept, I kept feeling um, we live on Mother Earth. She's alive. And I talk to trees. I admit it. It's rocks, whatever. Whoever will talk to me. The plants in my house are like, we need some water. Right. <laughs> but I just think that uh, for you to be on the show and to talk about what it is that you're doing and bring us that beautiful energy of that connectedness with everything. I think it's really important right now, especially in our time of great change. So tell us a little bit, tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself and how did you come to writing this book? Well, since we're talking about the earth, I would say a big start a big start of it was probably my connection with the natural world. And it's also probably what got me to follow through and finish it. Um, but I've always been connected to nature, even though as a child, I grew up in a rather suburban neighborhood, not, you know, super wild, but we did have a lot of big trees, you know, kind of strangely, it was an old suburban neighborhood and um, even a huge uh, ash tree. And I climbed in those trees a lot. And I went to 
open spaces as much as I could. And my grandparents uh, lived in a town in New Jersey, which was a, or used to be a rural town when I was little, but now it's no longer, but near the Pine Barrens and the ocean. And and uh, so whenever I got a chance to go wild as a kid, I did. And uh, as an adult, then I really went wild, um, working at summer camp in the mountains and then ultimately for Outward Bound um, in the summers and then ultimately going into the field of wilderness therapy so I could be outside all the time as a psychotherapist. Um, and then ultimately diving into Animus Valley Institute's work as an animus guide and where I felt like the connection to the natural world could be much deeper than just uh, you know, the outdoor sports and even wilderness therapy, which often uses nature as a background. Everybody knows it; it's healing to be there, but ne don't necessarily talk to it and have a relationship with it. So when I joined Animus Valley Institute, um, I was able to engage more deeply in the conversation and, and kind of extend the definition of wild too, to not only um, the wildness in the natural world, which is the primary wildness, but also the wildness in our dream life and our psychic life and how to connect to that. Um, and also, you know, I've studied a lot of body centered practices as well, because I really do believe that our body um, is also a source of wildness. And that's partly why I went into studying yoga as well as a way, as one of many ways to be able to listen and be in alignment with our body. And I noticed a really strange thing that when I was doing yoga, there's a way I could feel in my body the way I imagined nature might feel um, in its body, you know, nature is so fully itself. Like a tree isn't confused. It's a tree. Um, <laughs> you know, the prairie is the prairie. The lake is the lake. It's not trying to be the clouds. It's the lake. And so, you know, humans, we have all these voices and, you know, all these directions and these pulls. And, you know, sometimes uh, I, I know when I meet people, the biggest thing, how can I find my true voice or my true direction? And um, of course, usually in nature, it's easier somehow in the company of beings who are so fully themselves, it can be easier to align with ourselves. And also doing yoga, I just felt like I could also be in my physical body in a way that felt like I was in the flow of movement, like I see nature in a flow. So I kind of brought those concepts together and that was the beginning and um, have done wild yoga programs since 2007. Uh, a lot in Costa Rica, which is where my yoga teachers were that I studied with. And then I live out in Southwest Colorado. So a lot in the wilderness out here. We do a lot of nature in the wilderness. And it was an interesting study. I used to work at an eco lodge in Costa Rica where all the yoga was outdoor. I much prefer doing yoga outdoors. It's like if our consciousness is going to expand as it does in yoga, why not to the natural world? And the natural world can be in a conversation with us while we're doing our yoga, we're in our bodies. So, um, and then I, I just, you know, started longing to write a book because I wanted to be able to share these concepts with everybody, not just people who could afford to come to a program or have the space to come to a program, but to, they could maybe get some of the same uh, benefits through reading the book. And uh, probably the thing that just really spurred me on is I've also become a bit of a earth activist um, because of my love for the natural world. Yeah. Uh, I just feel a need to fight for um, species and land, you know, what we have left and, and just help defend it as best I can. Of course, I feel, I wish there was so much more I was doing, but celebrating people that are doing things is one, one thing that I like to do and just bring our attention to, to that being part of our relationship with the wild world is helping to protect it. And, and that, uh, fire, you spoke of fire in astrology, uh, cause I thought that was kind of interesting, uh, fire, that fiery 
um, anger and passion and love for the earth is kind of like, this book needs to get written now. You know, we need to sit, yeah. settle down and finish. So, um, so all of that. I love everything you said. And I, I just want to say this because I'm a pretty open, honest person. Your book is so wonderful. Wild Yoga, everybody just go get it now. Um, reading it, you you have such a way of creating that energy to pull me into that space. And I love nature, right? Like I, I grew up camping and running around naked in the woods or something, right? Sorry, people. <laughs> it happens, right? And uh, I'm thinking of, uh, about several things. First of all, uh, advocacy for the earth. You are definitely a voice for the earth to be able to bring that to our attention, you know, for those people that, like you say, uh, don't know how to talk to a tree or or don't know how to go into um, nature and, and put their technology away, right, which is a big thing for people, or take your watch off. Oh, dear. What would happen if we did that, right? So from your heart is what I get, this connection that you have with the wildness, the wildness of things. So, wow, where do we go? Because there's, I, I, it's like, I want to, I want to be able to convey to the listening audience, your heart, your soul, your, 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 your mystic thing. You say somewhere in the book that your muse had you write this book. And I also heard you say you've been doing wild yoga since 2007. So yeah. So I don't know where you want to jump in there and how you want to answer that question. Um, and while you're thinking about it, you know, I'll just throw some more things out there that I was thinking. I, I'm, I'm thinking about being in a big um, room with people trying to do yoga poses. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't think that's for me. I can't do that one. And so I'm giving you a whole lot to talk about here. But really get into what is wild yoga? How's that different from other yogas? Yeah, you know, it really is a, a, some of the major concepts you brought up. One is that I do like to invite everyone in. There's a lot of people who think, oh, I'm not someone that does yoga. And um, sometimes there's been even invitations already. Sure, you want to entitle a book yoga because maybe that'll feel exclusive. Like people don't like yoga and they won't want to do yoga. But for me, you know, a lot of it, is just about being in our bodies. And I lead yoga at all the programs I guide and many of them aren't people who signed up for yoga. So I, I'm not doing these like hardcore, you know, moves or it's not about, you know, looking cool in our pose. It's just about kind of, hey, can we come into our body? And um, what are some gentle invitations to do that and even, and even be playful with our body and listen or maybe experiencing it in a different way? And my yoga, in some ways, it's it's a very new form, never been done before. But in some ways, it's ancient because the old yogis, uh, they looked at yoga as a much larger concept than our culture does today. Oftentimes in mainstream culture, yoga is thought of as yogasana, go to class. And the poses of yoga or the body movements, I see it as just one branch on the tree. Yes how our body moves and, you know, being healthy in our movements and tracking our movements and trying movements is a great thing, but that's only one branch. And, you know, the other, the tree is so much bigger and, and it's a tree about connecting to our wild nature. The original poses were named after animals for a reason. We're animals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Our animalness. And it was also about being in relationship to the natural world. 
the world around us, which is the natural world. I mean, the earth is where we come from, all of ourselves. I mean, she truly is our mother. We're like really birthed from her ultimately. And so how can we reconnect to that mother and that relationship through being present in our bodies? There's a wild concept in wild yoga, and that's that our health and well-being can't be looked at as an individual project. It, it's it's connected to the our environment. It's connected to the natural world around us. So to go to the doctor or tend to our individual health and then, you know, allow the world to keep being destroyed is is like it's kind of doesn't make any sense at all. So if we want to look at health, it also involves um, protecting everything that we're connected to. You know, uh, a lot of people live in the city. I'm up here in Seattle, right? A lot of people live in the city, and of course. Um, I always feel grateful that I live in, quote, unquote, the great Northwest. There's lots of outdoor things going on up here. <laughs> but you do have to go outside your door, right? And and you do have to go out there. I, I was trying to think. I, I probably have this wrong. You probably know. Some Somebody said, I go into the woods to lose myself and find my soul or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, so take us into that just a little bit. How do we how do we take that step deeper into that connection with our great mother? You tell personal stories in the book, and one of them really stuck in my mind where you were going through something and you pulled up your shirt and laid your your belly on the ground, right? Yeah, that was a, yeah. a connect to my heart, you know, connect to my heart practice. Yeah. Um, you know, connecting to the heart and you name that right off. How can we get to the heart? Uh, it's a big thing. I mean, one of my teachers, Joanna Macy, says, you know, it's the numbing of our heart that is at the center of our, our problems in culture and individually and in culture. And yet at the same time, we got to understand our protection and have compassion for it. It exists because the world is traumatic and we've all suffered individually and collectively, you know, a lot of trauma. And so we close off to uh, protect and just, you know, to be okay. But also when we close off, we imprison ourselves, we dam ourselves up, just like the rivers we dam. And there's a real practice of asking ourselves to flow again. Um, and asking ourselves to flow again is also asking rivers to flow again. It's there, you know, there's that connection. And I personally have struggled with that because growing up in this culture, I also learned, you know, not, that like feelings are dangerous, don't show, don't feel, you know, keep going. And so it's, it took some work in nature, you know, some really work and apprenticeship to nature to invite my tears to return, which was also to invite my heart to return to myself, to really mm -hmm. feel what was here. And yeah, that practice of lifting my belly on the earth and grieving was one, one of those practices uh, to, to call that back. But it's kind of magical. You can't make yourself cry anymore that you can yeah. make yourself not feel sad. So the heart, the heart is a wild creature. And part of our relationship to our heart might be like our relationship to a tree or the river, which is, can I just feel what I feel and honor what I feel and allow what I feel? Well, and I, I'm, I'm thinking too about how you go directly to nature and talk to it. You know, you ask it like, I'm, I'm going to put myself right here. I'm going to connect with you. And now what's going to happen? Uh, we sometimes talk about the great mother as, uh, I mean, I, I've done work with people who are like, well, no, no, I don't want to connect with the great mother. I have mothering issues, right? Don't you understand? And uh, so there's that, that we have all this grief. And I, I was thinking when I read that portion of your book, which obviously I'm a heart centered person, right? Like 
good Lord, we could be grieving our disconnection, right? And so many levels, like I'm disconnected from who I am. Like you say, um, the tree doesn't need to say, who am I? I need to heal the wound of my identity, right? Like I'm a tree. What do you think's going on here, right? But we, we're complicated that way or confused or um, damned. Yeah. And and I love yeah. how you said brought in the word disconnection. It's uh you know another you know person who I who I love, Chellis Glendening, her work. She said that you know what if um all of our problems like psychological and everything, the heart of it is this um, disconnection from the earth that Western civilization has brought about. So uh, you know what if we look at that? Like I, I used to be a psychotherapist. So what if we you know toss out the DSM a bit? And just say, yeah, what if what if our anxiety, what if our depression, what if what if a lot of this is called from this like way we're cut off from the very life force itself? Yes. Yeah. I, I and I think there's compassion for ourselves in that too. I remember when I first went out into nature, I loved nature, but I didn't feel connected to it. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I love being here and I love you. And I like want to be here, but I can't feel how I'm of the earth and I'm sad about that. But it's just true. And kind of having you just work through that, like, and, and, you know, it starts with longing. I know somewhere I'm connected. Our ancestors, all of our ancestors once lived close to the earth. So I know it, it exists in my DNA, this capacity to restore this primal relationship and commune. And so how can I long and just stay in the conversation until something does shift? And And for me, it did shift in time, just being with that. Being in that conversation, uh, there's an interaction that happens that makes change happen. Yeah, I I actually feel that longing while you're talking about it. I go, yeah, there is that deep longing. You you talk in your book, and I don't know, uh, I forget the exact details, but about uh, uh, this this man. You'll know who it is who went with a tribe, and they were surprised he couldn't hear the stars talking. Like, oh. Like, you really can't, you know, we're really sorry you're sick, right? Yeah, the Lawrence Vanderpost. Uh, yeah, that's his, it. His writing. Yeah, that they um, they had thought, you know, they didn't, they thought it was a joke and didn't understand. And and that is, I think, if we looked at the world through, a you know, an indigenous perspective, uh, I, I, you know, whether it's um, indigenous peoples now or indigenous peoples thousands of years ago, our ancestors, um, looking at the natural world um, in our connection. And if looking at somebody who can't hear it, who yeah. can't hear nature as a living, breathing being would be considered an illness, a grave illness. Like that's what they said, the gravest illness of all. Wow. Yeah. It brings so many things to mind. Um, you know, even to the point of uh, when I was a little girl and would visit my grandmother in Eastern Oregon, she lived in the middle of nowhere on a farm. And every once in a while, she would come outside and it would be a blue sky. She lived at the base of the Blue Mountains there. And she would say, OK, everybody come in. It's going to rain. And I would look at the sky and go, what is she talking about? And she'd say, well, all of the bugs just fell out of the tree. Right. And mm -hmm. it was like, oh, interesting. Right. So she would share those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, it's great. So we're going to take a little station break. and. Um, I love this conversation so much. Uh, my heart is so happy. Um, Rebecca Wildbear is my guest today. Her wonderful book, Wild Yoga, 
I want to say that all day. I want to like have it be my mantra, uh, a practice of initiation, veneration and advocacy for the earth. And this is Loretta Brown. We'll take a station break. We'll be right back. Every year, Steve Faircal climbs the stairs at the John Hancock Center in Chicago, 94 floors to the top. It's called the hustle up the Hancock. It's hard to believe when you watch Steve today that a few years ago, his lungs were failing and he was fighting to survive. For eight hours a day, someone was pounding on my chest to try and keep my lungs clear. I honestly don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received the gift of life, a double lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. After I got my new lungs, I started doing things that I had never been able to do. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. Steve climbs to honor his donor and to raise awareness for organ, eye, and tissue donation. Wouldn't you like that when you left this beautiful planet that you could save a few lives on your way out? It's an incredible gift. Imagine what you could make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources, and Services Administration. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 a.m. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now... We're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show with my guest, Rebecca Wild Bear and her book, Wild Yoga. Oh, I love it. And uh, just a reminder that uh, these shows are archived. You can you can listen to these, this show over and over again, as well as hundreds of maybe thousands of other shows at the archives for 1150 KKNW, the original Loretta Brown Show. And of course, we're on iTunes podcast one spotify megaphone haha ha, benny i did it <laughs> Twitter, i believed YouTube. in you this whole time <laughs> thank you <laughs> i believe in you yeah for sure and uh please check it out and you can find out more about me loretta brown at reikioasis.com so i want to get right back into this conversation with rebecca we were just kind of i feel like we're just putting our toe into it um Tell us a little bit more about your journey, your journey with cancer and how it brought you to where you're at. Well, I was 21 in my senior year of college, and I was probably like most young people in some ways, just thought I was superhuman. And I was exercising that in the way of editor of the school newspaper, resident assistant, straight A student, leader on campus, you know, just thinking about all the things I was going to do when I graduated, maybe go get a PhD. I mean, I had all these ideas, travel abroad, and uh, suddenly um, I was struck ill, and uh, I was able to stay in college, but I had to reduce down to three classes, not a full-time load, 
and they allowed me to stay on campus and do that so I could still be in my community. Um, but I wasn't able to do anything else. So here I was a very active person who was just had to be still. And uh, also the possibility of death um, was in was there because uh, the statistics were that the chemotherapy I was going to have for this particular non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was only shown to have success in one third of cases, meaning wow. two thirds of people died. So wow. there I was at 21 contemplating death. And I was already a philosophy religious studies major. So um, I was questioning and always writing, you know, is there a God out there? If so, I'm an experiential person. Can you show me? And I almost felt like the cancer was an answer to my prayer in a strange way. Not that I would wish it on anyone. And I really hate hospitals and have a real, get a lot of anxiety, have a very hard time, um, hate chemicals in my body, like yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah. And yet um, there was this kind of parallel experience going on while I was going through all of that difficulty and trauma and ordeal and suffering. Um, my inner state was also experiencing this unusual thing that I've never experienced, which was a sense of the sacred or God or the holy. Um, and because I wasn't moving, I was still enough. And I felt it inside myself. So it wasn't just outer. And I, I feel like it was a, a soul encounter, an early soul encounter that was, you know, still wasn't, it didn't give me a lot of details, but it felt like there was this presence in me in this, this dark depth, like this possibility of, of knowing a deeper me inside me and something that was much more precious. And I, I had always associated my sense of the holy with nature, but I had not associated it as something inside of me. So mm -hmm. it was a new experience to feel that it was inside of me. And it was also started to be something I could feel as a palpable presence in the room, even inside. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just in nature. It was, it was like everywhere. Um, and I could, and it was in the air. I could mm -hmm. feel it. And so it, yeah. it began to switch my understanding of what I, what I thought of when I thought about the holy or God. And somehow it, while I was going through that, it, it also switched my focus on what was important you know, what I wanted to live for, because yeah. I was contemplating when you're in a death, you know, there's this part of me, well, here I am, maybe there's some part of me that wants to die, you know, and getting in touch with that part yeah. that maybe yeah. wouldn't mind um, going somewhere else. Uh, and then getting in part of the in touch with the part of me that came here and was like, no, I, I have things here to, to, to be and to offer. And so let's get down to what's really important. And so all of that started while I was going through the cancer. And so it just reoriented my whole life, the way I experienced myself, the world, and, you know, what I came to do afterwards, which fortunately, I was lucky enough to recover, you know, after uh, chemo radiation and five years of checkups, I, I got a um, clean bill of health to um, that I was in remission. And I've, I've still had moments where I felt like it could come back, you know, when I had body sensations and feelings. Mm -hmm or where I was under stress. I definitely think stress contributed to it. Um, I have definitely have a part of my personality which can push myself too hard. So, you know, my yo yoga was really the beginning of yoga for me was part of, started with my cancer and what started with this conversation about slowing down and being gentle with myself and loving myself enough to not, you know, work every minute and not push myself too hard and rest and take those times to listen and play. Yeah, you're uh, while you're talking, I'm 
I'm thinking about, you know, your book is very intimate, by the way. It's a, it's a personal journey. Uh, I encourage people to read it because this idea that there's this deep longing of the heart and then also because you shared that in your cancer, you felt like there was something over the heart. Maybe that's where your cancer was located. It was. Mm-hmm. It was in the two lymph nodes right in, in front of my heart. It, wow. was, it was almost like, I, you know, I, I would dialogue, do dialogues between body and mind. So that's what a cancer. I realized in many ways that I was treating my body like a slave to uh. my mind. And the body was like saying, nope, not having it. If you're not going to listen, we'll just pull the plug on everything. I'm part of this process too. So I did a lot of dialoguing and it was like my, and, and then there was part of that with my heart too, in that, which it kind of said um, to me, if we're not really going to live here, then, then let's go. Or if we're really going to live, then let's live. Yeah. You share in the book how you, you went out and you had this experience where you're trying to find your name and in, and, and woven into that is this, cause I'm, I keep hearing this this morning, this deep longing, this longing for connection, this deepness that I think a lot of people always are verbalizing, like ah, I'm trying to make this, what is this? Right. And, um, but you went out and you got a name. So tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I was, you know, on a quest, it was my first three day, three night solo fast. And part of that experience oftentimes is asking for a soul name, which is kind of like asking for a purpose. Like, why am I really here? Can you give me any clue? Sometimes you can just feel like that. I really don't know. Or maybe I think I know, but I'm open to the possibility that I might be wrong and let me listen and ask. So I was asking and I wasn't getting too many answers. (laughs) You know, oftentimes that's the case when we first start a conversation. They're like, yeah, you're not serious. We'll just see how long you'll stay in this conversation. Um, And it it was the third third day of fasting. And that's often when it happens. I was the weakest. You know, it's when our, when that's kind of why fasting in the wilderness works. Our ego is weak and it can't erect all the defenses and familiar stories. So we're more open. And I was weak and I had, um, been to my buddy stone pile to like mark that I was okay. And I was climbing back up a hill and my heart was beating so fast, which is one of the effects sometimes of fasting. And I had to stop every few feet and rest. And I started to get afraid again, like, oh my God, maybe I'm going to have a heart attack or um, you know how the mind can be coming in. Oh my God. Like, you know? And so um, I got up to the top finally, and I rested on the rock that I had originally called me to that place. And I asked, in amidst this state, kind of being reminded of my cancer journey, which had been um, like about eight years earlier, I was reminded how this it feels to feel like, well, death could be nearby. Yes. And I asked, like, you know, why am I here? And, and in that moment uh, of asking, there was an answer from the juniper tree right next to me in the pinion, juniper and pinion forest. And it was, it was a brave heart. And then the whole pinion juniper forest was um, like Braveheart. And I was, you know, part of me is just like, no, like that's a movie. Um, Like that's not it. Um, But it's like, I didn't have time to really say my no before all these images came into my head of like, like I remember just flashes of times I was brave and how much I felt alive in those moments. And then I also remember these other flashes of moments that 
I had just kind of turned away from opportunities and, and situations and, and been too afraid and, and, uh, and that how, what a loss I felt then. And so still that was just like, okay, I asked a few more times and heard the name and still, you know, I'm, I'm a doubter. So I was just like, okay, well, that's the name I got on my quest, but is that really, what, you know, do I believe all this? And so I had to wait, you know, about six months to really um, do a ceremony to accept that name. I, I started after the quest, I started waking up in the middle of the night crying. And as you know, not feeling my emotions is a major, uh, was a major obstacle before. So I was like, this is very unusual that suddenly my heart has woken up and I'm feeling. And it's where I started to write, like writing poetry, like trying to bring words to my feelings and experience. And I would just need to do that in the middle of the night. And so um, after six months, I just was like, this is just true. This is just the heart of who I'm being called to be. And even though it's a bit mysterious and I don't fully understand what it means, I get I get a sense a little bit of what it means. I, I know it's calling me to feel more, to open my heart, and it's calling more, me to take greater risk and show up with my heart in more places. And so I did a ceremony with the earth to just accept that name. And, uh, and then there was more after that, but that was a major piece. And so you're right, for me, the heart is pretty at the center yeah. yeah it's pretty pretty at the center uh i i uh love your story um i everything you shared i was just like wow wow and um i i'm not going to share this whole thing i'm just going to make a comment that um i went on a vision quest years ago and yeah the third day mm-hmm. and that experience of death and then and then a a vision and a name which altered my life completely but this is this to me is that deepness that people are going for and then my understanding of your journey is in in mine and maybe everybody's is that it's a never ending quest right we're we're constantly going deeper or there's something that comes that helps to uh clarify or define that or or like I said, I mentioned it earlier in the show. You mentioned that your muse told you to write this book, right? Because you're not you're you're a you're a gal that loves to just go out in the <laughs> in the in in the world, right? In the nature, right? Like, exactly. what are you doing on what are you doing on this show, right? <laughs> like, exactly. So, well, first, what am I doing on the computer? You know, yeah. hours <laughs> typing, and then yeah, and then what am I doing on on shows and you know Zoom and stuff? It's it's a whole different world, you know. Yeah. So, so many things I could ask you, but I'm, I'm kind of being directed to go to what I would call first steps. Like when, when, if people listening, like many people listening may be doing, uh, going out into the wilderness. And like you say, there is this level, you can, you can just go take a little walk on a trail. You can get deeper into it and then you can really connect. Um, so talk a little bit about how do people get into this? And then I really want you to go a little bit deeper into what is wild yoga? How does that get us deeper? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it could start in, in, cause in our area, even in our yard or in our park, um, you know, with trees, uh, grass, uh, plants, you know, talking to them, even your house plants, you know, just getting, maybe you already do that when no one's looking, but just getting <laughs> into the sense that these beings do receive us, you know, they do feel us and we do have a relationship with them and we can talk and listen. 
And, you know, if you have a hard time with that, which it's understandable because we were raised in the culture to believe that's not true. Um, you can't do that. But just so you know, that's not the way it is for most of the time humans have been alive. Most of the time humans have been alive, they talked and listened to nature. Only the last few hundred years has this been a strange idea. Um, but if you if you still can't get past it, which is understandable, and there's these parts of your psyche, you know, whether you're in your backyard or you're in a wilderness area, which it's great to go to a wilderness area because often you can go off trail where no one's looking and that can help you be less self-conscious. Um, but, you know, you don't have to go far. Just go find somewhere where no one's looking, step a few feet off trail and have a conversation. And if you, you can't get there because your brain is like, oh, this is this is so ridiculous. Why, why am I talking to a tree? Um, imagine your five-year-old doing it. Your five-year-old can play. Your five-year-old can imagine. You know, there's something in our culture that believes once we turn six, we're going to put away our imagination now and just think. And thinking is somehow more real than imagination. Nothing can be further than the truth. Our, our thoughts are, are just one way of knowing, just like our imagination. And imagination is the most underrated way of knowing that exists in our culture. And it's, it's such a loss. So invite your five-year-old who can play and imagine. And don't worry about if it's real or if it's not. Just play and speak out loud and listen. And don't expect a response right away, but just allow the possibility that one might come. Yeah. Uh, the whole time I've been thinking about what little kids do and little kids will will act like they're animals. Right. Or they'll they'll run around. And, and like you said, the wild nature to to reconnect to our wildness as opposed to our domesticatedness. Right. And what that might be. And uh, you also you said our, our uh, you know, because people are embarrassed. Like, oh, oh, I just feel silly, right? You know, so we're self-conscious of that whole thing and to be able to pass over that. Um, what what benefits, I don't know, it's kind of a, a sketchy question. Could you share with the audience something that, you know, like doing wild yoga, how it has enriched you and your life and or the people that you work with? Well, I think most of the time humans in the culture don't realize how much more to themselves and the world there really is. And we just think the stories, the mind and the stories we're living are so small and the possibilities are so large and the relationships are so small. I can only talk to these other humans and we have a possibility to relate with our body. We have a possibility to relate with all the beings in the natural world. We have the possibility to relate with our dreams and listen to the wild beings and those. We have the potentiality to relate to our muses and darkness. So what wild yoga does is it stretches our consciousness, not just our bodies. It stretches our consciousness to be in the greater web of relationships and the greater web of all these relationships. So that when I'm acting and living in the world, from you know some story in my mind i'm acting from the input that i'm getting from all these relationships including my own soul because the natural world and our dreams wants us to live our soul which is our truest essence it wants us to be who we really are so if we're in that conversation it's going to help inform us if we want to, if we ask in time sometimes we have to be patient but keep asking it, it's going to tell us who we are and so that's really what it's doing in a nutshell is it's opening us up to these greater relationships and um, not at all as an escape from, from the challenges of the physical world. Although sometimes we do need to take space from those so we can have these other more subtle conversations and really deeply listen. 
but that through listening, that's going to help also direct our action in the world individually and collectively about how we can address the big, some of the yeah. biggest problems of in our world, which of course, for me, the biggest problem is ecocide and ecological devastation since you know, our mother gives us life. Yeah. So that's, you know, we can ask for help when we're linked up with these relationships. And I think that to me, that's the greatest hope of possibility. So you're touching on something you bring out in the book, which is uh, praying in the dark or radical dreaming. Uh, can you just say a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, praying in the dark is um, takes the grief to even bigger level. And also as far as collective human and also collective with the earth, you know, heading into the darkness as a rich place where we can receive visions and possibilities, yeah. but we're, where we can also listen with the earth and grieve with her and feel with her and ask for visions that can help direct our actions for what we do amidst everything happening in this dark time in the world. And uh, radical dreaming is even, you know, more specified to asking our dreams for help. It's not so uncommon. There's been other people, um, Stephen Eisenstadt talks about yeah. archetypal activism and uh, Robert Bosnick has talked about dream incubation for artists that want to, you know, ask the dream for help and how to create their art. And so radical dreaming takes those concepts and sort of expands it to this idea. What if we ask our dreams to help us? help guide us and how to deal with the radical changes our world needs. Radical means we don't just need a couple little reforms, tweaks in here. You know, those are fine and can be helpful in, in the short term, but in the long term, we need, um, we need radical change. And how can we ask our dreams to give us visions, particularly visions that are gonna help us truly be able to live on the planet uh, in a way that um, honors life? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm such a proponent of that dream work. and. Dream. I, I don't know. My my uh, guides told me one time they go just dream dream a new world into reality, Loretta. Just be a dreamer. Dream it, right? And it's very tangible. It's very powerful. It's it's good work. Um, what talk about feral female ferocity? I love this. Yeah, feral female ferocity. I love it too. And part of it is you know ferocity gets such a bad rap. You know, anger, violence. And that's understandable because there are a lot of ways it's acted in the world very badly. So I am all for saying, yeah, anger, violence in, in certain situations is a bad thing. But um, if we throw out ferocity completely, we're throwing out a part of our wholeness. And it's also a part that's missing in our world. For the feminine in particular, who, who uh, feminine are taught never be angry, to be docile, submissive, kind, have a smile no matter what. Um, but there is a quality um, that I'm connecting back to with my ancestors too, the in Ireland and Norse mythology where ferocity and being the guardians of the earth are actually a natural part of our wholeness and of being, you know, elder, elder women in the computer, in, in the, in the community. And so I'm just honoring that our culture teaches us not to be fierce, um, to, uh, to allow the hierarchy that exists. Only certain people are allowed to be fierce and, women usually aren't on the top of the hierarchy you know there's other people low and high and there's all sorts of ways but nature doesn't look at, at it like that which that's why i bring in feral and i bring in scorpions and snakes who are pretty small in the food chain but pretty fierce and they act to protect themselves and that's where ferocity comes in it, it exists to protect ourselves it's okay to be fierce to protect yourself to protect those you love and hopefully that includes the earth we love the earth it's okay for yeah. us to have ferocity to protect the earth and to yeah. be 
generosity is is not a sign of our ill health. In fact, it's very much a sign of our health and well-being. And like you said about the fire, that ferocity can light a fire in us to take action, to act, to speak. Yeah. Girl on fire. Woo. Yeah. Um, we're down to just the last little bit of our show, which is crazy. I have like 25 more questions. Um, what what does nature want to say to us? What do we need to know? Well, um, I can only say, you know, what it said to me or what it said to other people that I've listened to um, for yeah. all these years in the wilderness. But, you know, oftentimes I've experienced nature to be a very loving presence when we've needed. I've met people that were hurt and grieving and going through hard times. Yeah. And I've experienced the way nature held and loved them. I mean, you look at a forest, it's one of the most just loving, giving beings that exists. And it's helped me. I think I wrote in my chapter about receive the love of trees yeah. with my yeah. own struggle to love myself. The trees taught me how to love myself and others. And so it can help with love. It can help with uh, coming into our purpose, which is if we want to ask, you know, why am I really here? What am I doing? If that's our quest, what's my soul? I want to encounter my soul. I want, I want an image of my soul. I want to know who I really am. Nature can really help with that too. Um, I've, you know, that's a big, a lot of my work with Animus Valley Institute has been helping people have soul encounter and also be initiated by their soul, which is to um, live their life in service to soul, marry their soul, where ego be, li lives just to serve the vision of soul. Yeah. Where can people find you, Rebecca? Um, my website, RebeccaWildBear.com. So if you want to hear more, see more about my work and what I offer, just go to RebeccaWildBear.com. Um, I have loved this so much. I want to let people know that your book is written in such a wonderful way. And at the end of each chapter is a yoga pose that helps you uh, incorporate what she covers in the chapter. And there are things like reconciling with the goddess. I wish we had time to talk about wild arrows. I think that's such a, a important conversation. But for now, <laughs> go be become wild. I am ready to go embrace my wildness and Rebecca Wildbear, blessings to you. Thank you so much for your wonderful, beautiful book. And um, man, I got to go to the forest. That's all there is to say about it. Thank so, you. I'm so glad. Yeah. Thank you. Everybody stay safe, stay happy, stay on the bright side of life. And Benny, you're the best. Thank you so much.